We're in week number six in a series called The End Times, How the Story of Redemption Ends. And what we're doing is we're studying the six major events the Bible says will take place in the end times surrounding the second coming of Christ. And as we've done throughout this series, let me once again remind you uh, what, uh, we're, what those six events are in chronological order. They are the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium, the great white throne judgment, and the new heaven and new earth. Now, we've already talked about in this series the rapture. We've already talked about the tribulation, and we've already talked about the second coming. Today, we're going to talk about what's called the millennium. As, as, a, as an introduction, what I want to do is I want to share with you a portion of the lyrics of one of the most famous Christmas carols of all time. In fact, you know it well. It's called Joy to the World. It was written in 1719 by an English hymn writer by the name of Isaac Watts. And every year at Christmas, this song is sung all over the world in celebration of Jesus' birth. But here's the thing you have to understand. Watts never wrote it to celebrate his birth. Rather, he wrote it to celebrate what's going to happen at the second coming when Jesus returns to set up his earthly kingdom. And so Joy to the World is actually about the second coming, not the first. Now with that in mind, go ahead and look at some of these lyrics here. Watch this. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Well, that didn't happen the first time that Jesus came. The world rejected him. In fact, even the nation of Israel rejected him. If you go on to the, to the next, uh, to the third verse here, it says this, he rules the world with truth and grace. Well, he's full of truth and grace, but he has never ruled the world with truth and grace. That has not happened yet, nor has the next two lines happened yet. And he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. He didn't make the nations do anything. He came to serve the nations the first time, but he's going to make them at his second time prove the glories of his righteousness. This song is what I want you to understand is going to be fulfilled in the millennium. I want to help you understand what the millennium is why it's necessary in God's plan of redemption, and what it's going to be like. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, actually tells us about it. So let's go ahead and read it in its entirety. Let me go ahead and set the scene first. Jesus has already come back to earth again. He has already defeated all his enemies at the Battle of Armageddon. He has already thrown the Antichrist and his cronies into the lake of fire for all of eternity. That has all happened at the end of Revelation chapter 19. And now it's time for him to set up his earthly kingdom here on this earth. Let's pick it up. Hey, guys. Lights. There we go. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Chapter 20, it reads this way. And I saw an angel coming, out, coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. They seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil or Satan, and bound him for what? A thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked the, and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, 
he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is talk to you about three aspects of the millennium. First, I want to talk to you about the time revealed. First, fill in the blank in your notes this morning. Let's talk about the time revealed. Now, that word millennium that we're using here, it's actually a Latin word. Uh, it, it just simply means a thousand years. It's made up of two Latin words, uh, mille, which means a thousand, and ennium, which means years. You might have noticed that when we read our text for this morning, six different times in that text, you see the term a thousand years mentioned. That's why we call this end times period of time the millennium. Now, this text, you have to understand, has been a theological battleground over the past couple of centuries. There are actually three perspectives on the millennium, and only one of them is right. Okay, it's important you understand this. You know, there's a lot of debate about the rapture event that we talked about earlier. Is it, is it, is, when's the rapture happen? And, and there, there's much more debate you can have there, um, although I know which one it is. I already told you that. But, but my, my point here is there are only one of these views is actually right. And it's important you understand which one is right, because if you don't, it actually affects the way you interpret the rest of the Bible. And how many know it's important to interpret the Bible right? It's important to understand the Bible, right, so that you can actually live out the Bible properly in this world. Now, with that in mind, let me share with you those perspectives. The first perspective about the millennium is called post-millennialism. And here's what post-millennialism says. Jesus comes back after the millennium. Now, this view was made very popular by a 17th century theologian by the name of Daniel Whitby. And here's what this view actually says. It says Jesus's earthly kingdom is going to be established by the church, and then the church is going to hand that over to Christ when he returns. This view, what it does is it makes us as Christians responsible for ushering in Jesus's earthly kingdom. And so it says, as Christians take over the world little by little, as they take over governments and legislatures and judicial systems, what's going to happen, this view says, is the world's going to get better and better and better until one day Jesus shows up and we just hand it to him. 
Now, you have to understand this view was very, very popular at the beginning of the 19th century. And let me help you understand why. Coming out of the Civil War, there was great optimism, especially in our country. And all of a sudden, new technologies were coming about to make life better. And everybody was like, well, this thing is going to be great in the long run. And so this was a very popular theory among Christians for a while. And then something happened. World War I happened. And then the Great Depression happened. And then World War II happened. And what happened with this view is Christians began to realize no matter how many people in the world get saved, the world still seems to get worse and not better. Bingo, dingo. Okay? That's because this view is wrong. Everybody say it's wrong. It's wrong. Okay, it just is. Turn to your neighbor say it's wrong. Listen, while it is the church's job to reach people and be salt and light in this world, the church will not be the one that establishes the millennial kingdom of, of Christ on this earth. Jesus is the one that's going to establish it. The Bible actually teaches us that things will not get better before the second coming, but they're going to get worse and worse no matter how many people come to know Jesus. You've got to understand that. Jesus is going to come back and make this world what Christians dream it could be. Okay? That will not happen until Jesus comes back. That will only happen in the millennium, not beforehand. So post-millennialism is an absolute wrong perspective. The second perspective about this is called ah-millennialism. Everybody say ah. Ah. Okay, ah, this one's wrong too, okay? <laughs> here's what this one says. There is no millennium. It teaches that the, what, we re- what we just read here in Revelation, all of it is is symbolic. So this view teaches that there won't be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. It teaches that there won't be a revived uh, Israel that the millennium kingdom will center around. It teaches that the church actually inherited all the promises of the Old Testament that were meant for Israel. And it teaches that God's just kind of done with the nation of Israel. It also teaches that Satan has already been bound at the cross. He's already been locked up. So the, the idea is Revelation 20, verse 1 through 10 is just symbolic of the church age that we currently live in. That things will just kind of continue like they are until Jesus comes again. And and I've already told you this view is not proper. Let me give you a few reasons why. First, it's incredibly inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. Okay? If you start interpreting Scripture like you would interpret what uh, Revelation chapter 20 If you don't take a a literal approach to interpreting the Bible, then you can twist the Bible to symbolize anything you want it to say. So what I want want you to understand is this view is also wrong. It just is. It doesn't match the rest of the Bible. There's one more perspective concerning the millennium, and it's called premillennialism. And here's what this view teaches. Jesus returns physically to earth to set up his earthly kingdom for a thousand years, okay? This is the right perspective. Amen. It's a literal, straightforth approach to the scriptures and to prophecy. And it's the oldest of the perspectives. I want you to understand all the early church fathers held this viewpoint. It also fits chronologically with the book of Revelation. So think about how the book of Revelation flows out. In chapters 6 through 19 of Revelation, you have the tribulation happening. And then at the end of chapter 19, Jesus comes back again, and you have the battle of Armageddon. And then as you get into Revelation 20, you have the millennial reign of Christ, then the white grown, great white throne judgment, and the new heaven and new earth. It's all right in order chronologically how it should happen. 
Not to mention, another reason why I tell you this view is correct is because when Jesus came the first time, Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies, literally. That's how you're to interpret all the prophecies. God has not made the second coming a mystery to the world. Jesus is coming back again. You need to be ready, amen? Amen. And so you're going to interpret the prophecies about the second coming literal, just like you did the ones of his first coming. Now, the last reason I tell you that premillennialism is the right answer is because, ready for this, we need help. Do you understand mankind is a mess? Okay, even you as a Christian on your best day, you're still a mess. I mean, look around this room. They're all a mess. They may look good. They may look pretty. They may fool you when they come to church, but they got messes in their life just like you have messes in your life. Listen, lasting peace in this world is a fantasy without Jesus. You know, many people live with this fantasy. Well, if we could just get the right politicians in office. If we could just get the right people on the Supreme Court, if we could just get this king in place and that king in place, this is the hope of the world, right? We'll have everlasting peace. That is a pipe dream. It's never going to happen without Jesus showing up. I mean, even, even if you could put all the Christians you want in, in office, guess what? They're still going to mess it up. We, history shows that. Okay. None of, none of this world peace is ever going to happen until Jesus shows up. You say, okay, pastor, I get it. Premillennialism, but why? I mean, why in the world does Jesus have to come back and set up an earthly kingdom for a thousand years before we move on to the rest of eternity? Well, let me give you four reasons why. Number one, to respond to the prophecies. So much of your Old Testament does not even make sense if there's no millennial kingdom. There are more prophecies about this end times event than any of the other end time events. And think about the massive amount of Old Testament scriptures about the other events that I've already talked to you about so far in this series. And that wasn't even an exhaustive list on each subject. Let me take you to some prophecies that Jesus has yet to fulfill that will happen in the millennium. Look at Psalm chapter 72, verse 11. It says, yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. You understand that has not happened yet. There's never been a time in the history of the world where all the kings and all the nations have bowed down to Jesus. But they will. It'll happen in the millennium. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, and we read this a few weeks ago, and we often read it at Christmas, but look at this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Well, that happened to Jesus' first coming. And now the rest of the passage is about what's going to happen at his second coming, which is, and the government will be on his shoulders. It wasn't on his shoulders at his first coming, was it? Oh, it'll be on his shoulders at his second coming. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. And we're talking about King David from the Old Testament. Let me ask you a question. What's David's throne and kingdom? The nation of Israel. Watch this, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteous from that time on forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Otherwise, you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. This hasn't happened yet, but it will in the millennium. 
Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 through 10. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Now watch this. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now that happened at his first coming, didn't it? Now as we move into the very next verse, now we're into the second coming. Watch this. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. No more war. Has that happened yet in the history of mankind? It hasn't happened yet, but it will in the millennium. Look at this promise that God made to Abraham about the nation of Israel that God was establishing through him. Okay, remember God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. That nation would become the nation of Israel. It would be a blessing to the whole world because the Messiah was going to come through that nation, right? Jesus would come through that nation. Look at the promise that God made to Abraham. The Lord made a covenant, Genesis 15, 18, with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land. And God describes its boundaries. Look at this. From the river of Egypt... Anybody know what that river's called? The Nile to the great river, the Euphrates, which is in present-day Iraq. I brought a map with me to show you this. That's the, see the yellow there? I've highlighted those two rivers. Does everybody see the current nation of Israel? It is only the size of the state of New Jersey. Never in the history of the Jewish people have they had control of all that landed between the two rivers. It has not happened yet, but it will happen and that prophecy will be fulfilled in the millennium. So why the millennium? Reason number one, simply, first of all, is to respond to the prophecies. God has made promises that he's going to fulfill. How many know God fulfills all his promises? Those will be fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ. I wish I could do a whole sermon about that alone. But let's look at reason number two for the millennium. This is so interesting. To reward the people of God. You know, the Bible tells us that there are going to be rewards for how Christians live for him during their lifetime. And here's what you got to understand. Those rewards will be in the form of responsibilities. And those responsibilities will be realized when Jesus comes back again to set up his earthly kingdom in the millennium. Both the Old Testament and New Testament tell us that. Look, let's start with the New Testament verse here. Jesus says this in Matthew 16, verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory, watch this, with his angels, and then he will what? Reward. Reward each person according to what they have done. You see that? Let me take you to an Old Testament uh, verse that says this very same thing. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Listen, the rewards we receive will come in the form of responsibilities that he's going to give us in the millennial kingdom. Do you understand Christians are going to rule and reign with Jesus in the millennium? Some with more responsibilities than others based on how they lived for Jesus in this current age, in their lifetime. Don't you, don't you understand? This is what the parable of the talents is all about. 
We use the parable of the talents, and we teach it for all kinds of different things and for stewardship. It's actually about the second coming. It's about getting ready for the millennial kingdom, if you understand it in context, in, in Matthew chapter 25. Okay, This is why the Bible tells us. What does the Bible say? We as Christians are what? Co-heirs with Christ. Why? Because we're going to rule and reign with him when he sets up his millennial kingdom. Now, I want to take you back to Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, and explain some things here uh, to you. By the way, this is one of these sermons you might have to go home and say, i got to listen to that one again. I'm throwing a lot of information at you, but let me take you back here. Watch this. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. Who is that referring to? Well, all the Christians that were raptured, that went up in the raptured and came back with Jesus, along with all the Old Testament saints, along with those who got saved in the tribulation and died. That last group, the people that got saved in the tribulation and died during the tribulation, that's what the next set of verses are referring to. Look at it with me. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God, they had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. Watch this. They came to life and reigned, see that? With Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And you say, who's the rest of the dead? All the other unsaved people in the history of the world. They won't be resurrected until the great white throne judgment that comes after the millennium, where they will be judged and sentenced for all of eternity. We're going to study that next week. It goes on to say here, talking about the people that that died in the tribulation that were saved and that are now resurrected, it says this is the first resurrection, okay? Talking about after Jesus is coming. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. What's the second death? It's eternal death. But they will be priests of God, just like the church is with him, right? And of Christ, and we'll watch this, will reign with him for a thousand years. Now you say, well, okay, but who are they going to reign over? The Christians that survived the tribulation. Those tribulation Christians will repopulate the earth during the millennium. So get this, during the millennium, there will still be babies being born. And there will also still be people dying in the millennium. So it's going to be a very unique time in human history. So let me put this together for you. What you have is you have Jesus ruling and reigning with the rest of the resurrected saints that are already in their eternal bodies. This is us, amen? Okay, we're not going to be able to sin again. We're not going to be able to die again. We are in our final state. How many are thankful for that? So you're going to have Jesus and all the resurrected saints in their eternal bodies ruling over the people and the descendants that survived the tribulation who are still housed in a body that is still tainted by the curse of sin. You say, well, what is all those saints with Jesus going to do? Were they going to help Jesus enforce and facilitate his earthly kingdom? That's what's going to happen. Now, there's a third reason for the millennium, and it's this, to reveal man's depravity and the, necess- and the necessity of Christ's death. Okay, remember, remember in the beginning of the millennium, 
uh, it says that Satan was bound. He was thrown into the abyss, which is a, which is a, a holding place that God has for, for there's, the Bible says there are some demons that are too vowed to be let out on earth. And God has locked them up until the final judgment. Well, God's going to throw the devil in that place, lock him up for a thousand years. That happens at the beginning of the millennium. But at the end of the millennium, God lets Satan back out for a short time. And you say, why, why, why is that? To test the world. Satan deceives the world again, and him deceiving the world again is going to reveal who was really saved and who's not. And you, do you understand, at this period of time, Jesus is going to be enforcing his righteousness. And so whether people like it or not, they're going to have to do what Jesus says. But not everybody's going to be saved. Not everybody. How many of you know you can go through the motions, but your heart not be right? And, and, and God's going to let out the devil one more time to deceive the nations. And, and you're going to find out who's who. And look what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. It says, when the thousand years were over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. So, so apparently the, the world has been very fruitful and multiplying in the, in the millennium. I mean, there's so many people, once again, the earth has been repopulated because we talked about how many people were going to die in the, in the tribulation period of time. And it says this, so the devil goes out and deceives them, and it says they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. We're talking about Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Okay? So this is not Armageddon. This is, the, this is another rebellion. I want you to think about this for a second. You have on earth Jesus in all his glory ruling over the world. And as we're about to find out in just a second, you've got perfect peace on the earth. You've got complete righteousness. You have no crime. You don't need police. You don't need military. There are no more wars. It's a perfect environment, yet people still reject him as their Lord and Savior. And it will prove to us what the Bible teaches us from cover to cover, that the problem with mankind is not his environment, it's his heart. That the heart of man is wicked, it's corrupt, it's evil, and it desperately needs Jesus to be its savior. Even when you put sinful man in a perfect environment, he still rejects God and wants to live life his own way. And you know what I think is going to happen when, when, when this is all said and done? Nobody's going to say God was unfair. Nobody's going to ever say that God didn't give man a chance. He even put him in a perfect environment. But in his sinful condition, he still rejected the only one that could save him. Isn't that something else? So why the millennium? Well, to reveal man's depravity and the necessity of Christ's death. We're going to go, oh my gosh, it's going to give us another reason to praise, to praise Jesus because how many know you have to have an encounter with Jesus where the Holy Spirit transforms you on the inside, yes. right? Amen? Yes. That happens when you put your faith in Jesus. Now, there's one more final reason for the millennium. Are you still with me? Yes. Either you're really interested or I'm confusing the heebie-jeebies out of you, one of the two. <laughs> Here's the final reason for this millennium reign of Christ. To redeem creation from the curse. Amen. Listen, when sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, not only did the curse fall upon mankind, but do you understand the curse fell on creation as well, the physical world we live in? Yes. 
you've had me say things like this in the past, but you have to understand it. The world was never meant to have earthquakes and hurricanes and volcanoes and natural disasters. Do you understand? That's in the, that is a result of the curse of sin on, our, on the physical world. So think about this. In the Garden of Eden, what was lost? Paradise was lost. In the millennium, paradise is going to be restored. The curse of sin will be lifted on the physical creation part of the story. And Paul talked about creation longing for this to happen in Romans chapter 8. And we, re we read this once already in this series, but let me read it again. It says in Romans 8, for the creation, talking about the physical world, waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For all those who are going to be saved are going to be saved, right? Creation can't wait for that to be complete. Why? For creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be, what's the word? Liberated, Liberated from its bondage to decay yes. and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So here's what you got to understand. Just like the human body dies because of the curse of sin, guess what's happening to our planet? It's actually slowly dying. There's more going on than global warming. You have to understand that. This, the, the world is dying. Okay? But when Jesus comes back, don't worry, Jesus is not going to let it die. So when the climate activists tell you, we're not going to be here in, in the 50 years, they are lying. You're being fooled. Okay? Listen, creation, when Jesus comes back, will be liberated from the curse of sin, and that will happen in the millennium. Things on this planet, when, in this period of time, things on this planet will go back to a great degree to what it was like before sin entered the world. So that's four reasons why the millennium. Now, that leads me to the second aspect of the millennium that I want you to know about. Let's call this the glory restored. What's it going to be like during the millennium? Well, it doesn't actually tell us here in Revelation chapter 20 Oh, but the Old Testament prophecies tell us what it's going to be like. So I'm going to kind of give you a, a quick tour. We're going to move very quick. I have 60-some slides this morning for you, right? Just so many scripture verses. But this is going to be an amazing period of time on earth. First, it will be a time of great peace. Look at Psalm verse 72, verse 7. In his days, the righteous shall flourish and abundance of what? Peace until the moon is no more. You're going to have so much peace. I mean, peace is going to be like, it's not going to just be a symbol. It's going to be a reality. I mean, isn't this what the, long, the world longs for? Oh, if we could just have peace in our world. It's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. Look at Micah chapter 4. Uh, it says, many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. So the world's going to be coming to visit Jesus in Jerusalem. So they're going to go up. He's going to teach them their ways so that we may walk in his path. Watch this. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He, talking about Jesus, will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. Now look at this last part. It says this, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. You're not going to need weapons anymore. You talk about ultimate gun control, here you go. Nation will not take up sword against nation. Why? There will be no more war. And if there's no more war, 
nor will they train for war anymore. No more military. No more Marines. No more Navy. You're not going to need any of that. Now, what's interesting about this red part here, and Isaiah actually predicts the same thing, the prophet Isaiah. Okay, This particular saying from the Old Testament is actually engraved on the wall heading into the United Nations in New York City. Let me show it to you. This is it. Look at that. This is where it comes from. This is why, because this is the hope of the United Nations. I got news for you. The United Nations is not going to be able to do it. In fact, I got other opinions about the United Nations, but I will keep that to myself. This is the hope of the world, right? Can we just all get along? Well, in the millennium, there is going to be great peace. And there, get this, there is even going to be great peace when it comes to the animal kingdom. When it comes between animals, between animals and animals and even man, it's going to be a unique time. Look at Isaiah prophesies. Isaiah says this about the millennial kingdom. Verse, chapter 11, verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. You can't do that now. You'll be able to do that. You'll be able to put them together in the millennial kingdom. And watch this. And a little child will lead them. Wow. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young children will put its hand into the viper's nest. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, what, you know, some... some, some will, Parent in the millennium is going to be, I'm going to be like, where's little Johnny? I'm like, don't worry, he's with the snakes. He'll be all right. <laughs> playing with the vipers. He's playing with the cobras. He's having a good time out there. And it says, look, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Watch this. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I mean, could you imagine? It's going to be a time of great peace, the world has not seen, are you ready for this? Since the Garden of Eden. It will also be a time of great prosperity. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 29. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field. So, so you look at a tree even in its best season and see the fruit that comes off it now. Wait till you see the fruit that's going to come off it when it comes in the millennium. Okay, So that you will no longer suffer dis- disgrace among the nations because of famine. No more famine ever again. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. So right now we've got deserts all over the world that are useless. It's not going to be like that in millennial kingdom of, 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 of Christ. They will say, watch this, in that period of time, this land that was laid waste will become like the garden of Eden. So no more famine, abundant food. I mean, it's, it's going to be something else. Very plentiful. Look what Amos says about this period of time. The days are coming. Haven't happened yet, but they're coming, declares the Lord. When the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. The harvest will be so great that the It'd be like, you're going to tell the planter, stop planting for a little while. We got so much because there is just this abundance. All of a sudden, things are so fruitful. There's so much fruit on the vine that they can't keep up with it. 
I mean, the, reap, the reaper overtakes the plowman. The one making wine overtakes the, the planter. Look at Isaiah chapter 35, verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and what? Blossom. Blossom. No more deserts. The millennium will be a time of great peace. It'll be a time of great prosperity. And it will also be a time of great purity. Listen, sin will be kept in check and disobedience will be dealt with at this period of time. Christ's kingdom is going to be a holy kingdom. Okay, he's going to rule it with an iron scepter. You say, what's that mean? What he says is going to go. Okay, so please understand this. This is not going to be a democracy. This is going to be Jesus says, and this is the way it's going to go at this period of time in history. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 23, from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. Why? Because he's in charge. What he says goes. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 2, on that day, I will banish the names of the idols from the land and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. Watch this, I will remove both the false prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land. So the millennium is going to be a time of great purity. And if you have purity, you're going to have less turmoil, right? Because the wages of sin, what? Is death. It leads to bad things. No matter how appealing it is, sin just doesn't lead you anywhere good. It promises good, but it never delivers. It's going to be a time of great purity in the millennial kingdom. It will also be a time of prolonged life. So think, look at this, Isaiah, interesting scripture verse about the millennium period of time. Isaiah 65, verse 20. Never again will there be, will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. You know what that means? No more miscarriages. No more babies dying. Or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach 100 will be considered accursed. So in some kind of ways, this is going to kind of go back to the way it was. How many of you have ever read the beginning of your Bible? And even though there was sin at the Garden of Eden, they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. People were living for a long time, 900 years, 600 years, seven, and then the flood happened. And if you understand it right, whole sermon for another time, when the flood happened, the whole atmosphere of the earth was changed. And now, because the way the environment is, we don't live as long as we used to. Well, things are going to go back as, as things are going to go back to the way it was. It's going to go back to the way it was at this period of time in history. So it's going to be a time of prolonged life. It's even possible. Think about it. Somebody might live for the entire millennium. That's very possible. Finally, the millennium will be a time of great personal joy. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Look at this, Isaiah 12, 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 14, 7. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. Finally, this is what we've been longing for. They will break forth into singing. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, 9. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trust in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trust in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. One more here, Isaiah chapter 42. 
Verse 10, it says, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements near Kedar, uh, where Kedar lives, rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. So that you understand, it's describing all that the whole world is going to be like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. It's going to be a, a unique time in human history when Jesus comes to set up his earthly kingdom to rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The millennium won't quite yet be heaven, but it will be heaven on earth for a thousand years. It'll be close. So that's the glory revealed. That leads us to one aspect about the millennium. One final aspect I want you to know about. Let's call this the deceiver removed. Now remember, at the very beginning of the millennium, who was bound for a thousand years? Satan, Satan right? And, and I, think, I think it's th this period of time that we're going to realize just how intense the spiritual warfare that we dealt with in our current life really is. Yes, because think about the peace we just described. When the devil and his cronies are out of the picture, there is unprecedented peace. Because what the Bible say? We wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities. And so I think in the millennium, we're going to see that in, in, in full display. So the devil was out of the picture for a thousand years. You had unprecedented peace. I mean, it's just a wonderful period of time, but then he's let out for a short time. And I've already talked to you about why that is. And he's going to deceive the nations once again. And the nations are going to revolt against Jesus. And they're going to come once again, but Jesus is going to quickly put that rebellion down. And I love this, this verse here because this is, this is yes, finally. Watch this. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and And with that, no more devil ever again. No more, de no, more, no more will the devil be able to deceive anybody. No more will the devil be able to, to ruin anything that God has created. He will be locked up, put away once and for all, and he will pay for what he did. Because you know that God is a just God, amen? And so with that, the millennium is complete. And now the time has come for the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. And you say, what, what's that going to be like? Well, come back next week. <laughs> so we're going to talk about it. I don't know about you, but are you thankful for Jesus? Yes. 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 You know, one of the things I realize is that we're eternally lost without Jesus. Do you realize that? Without Jesus, we're, we wouldn't be in that millennial kingdom. Without Jesus, we wouldn't be ruling and reigning with him. Without Jesus and what he did on that cross, we have absolutely no hope when it comes to eternity. How many are thankful for Jesus? Yeah, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Would you bow your heads? Let's just say a prayer of thanks as we close. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are, Lord. We thank you that you came to this earth and you died for us and you gave your life and you shed your blood that we could find salvation in you. And Lord, oh, we look forward to that day that we're, we're with you, ruling and reigning in that millennial kingdom. 
Lord, we can't wait for that day, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for making it possible for us to have eternal life with you. And Lord, we, we love you and we praise you and we just thank you for all that you are, all that you have done, all that you're doing now and all that you're gonna do for us in the future, Lord. We thank you in the name of Jesus. We all said together, amen, amen. I'm gonna ask our prayer partners if they'd come. If you need prayer for any kind of reason in your life, we would love to pray over you. The rest of you, have a great Sunday. Don't forget, we're going to do the, the, the Great White Throne next week. We'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday.